0: Welcome to the Golden Mike Podcast, where personal growth simply isn't enough. I'm your host, Mark Wardone, a positive psychology coach, a do-gooder from the island of misfit toys who founded the Joy Revolution. Each week, I'll rap with an extraordinary guest doing extraordinary things through their own revolutionary work to talk about the ups, downs, and all arounds of life. It's my mission to provoke and empower you through increased joy and inspire you to spark your own revolution to change history for the better. Welcome to the most serious happiness podcast in this multiverse. Welcome to the Golden Mike Podcast. All right, welcome back to another episode of the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm with my boy, Tristan Guttner. Uh, Tristan Guttner uh, is a coach who helps entrepreneurs uh, who are stuck, uh, whether that be that mentally or something is, st- st- they're stuck with something in their business, um, get a little bit more control of their business and, more importantly, their life. Uh, my boy's the host of, of The Lift uh, with Tristan Guttner. That's, that can be found on uh, WWTBN Network as well as Roku. Roku, if, you, if you've got uh, Roku, future... Sponsors of the Golden <laughs> Mike Podcast. I'm calling it right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna do a quantum leap. Roku, proud sponsors of the <laughs> Golden Mike Podcast. Uh, Tristan, it's good to have you on. bro.
1: Thanks, brother. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure to be here with you. I always love when we get to connect.
0: Yeah, abs- absolutely, man. Um, uh, all the the stuff is in the show notes. I did the plugs right away, so we can get right to it and, and we can get it. to the belly of the beast, which is um, your life. Um, born in born in Boston, grew up in Boston, I do not hear one bit of Boston in, in that Californian voice of yours right now, man.
1: <laughs> well, it's a tr- Boston's a tricky place on a lot of levels, I think. I grew up in the suburbs, like twenty minutes outside, but that Boston accent switches from like street to street. So a lot of my family grew up like in the city. And or lived in the city for a really long time, no trace of it. But you go two blocks over, and it's that crazy accent. So,
0: so, so like, w- when you scold your kids, does the Boston accent come out?
1: No, I well, maybe. I it, it's never been pointed <laughs> out. It comes out. There's a few words, and my wife always cracks up when I say them. Uh, she's like, "What word did you just say? <laughs> I got to hear one. I got to hear uh, one. They're doing impressions. One, one, I don't. I don't notice it. One is water." That's how I say the word water. She thinks it's crazy sounding. Is she from California? No, she's from Massachusetts too, but but <laughs> like the western part of the state, so it's a whole different ball game. And and then the name Larry. She she, when she <laughs> Yeah. Larry. That's what how she mocks That's
0: me. like a that's like a nineteen seventies sitcom show, the way you say Larry, bro. So so you you grew up and I mean, here we are talking about you helping entrepreneurs, and I mean they they're making quantum jumps many of the people that you work with it, it, it's not these um uh additive jumps it, it's really an exponential move that they'll make um uh i, I know you for yourself uh, moved from something like 20k a year to 20k a month right so we're talking about quantum jumps and i i'm, I'm curious about how you grew up what, what were you were, were you born in a place where uh, and bo- and grown in grown up in a place where quantum jumps were something that were normally talked about.
1: No, not at all. Um, yeah. yeah so I grew up like upper middle class, really white suburbs outside of Boston. Um, and both both my parents are super super hardworking, and um, both leaders, managers, like they they're both sort of designed to help a lot of other people both service-based job but also managing other human beings so there's like a leadership thing that i was exposed to um but there there in my immediate surroundings there's no entrepreneurship um that's not what i grew up with everyday um you know my dad had the same job for m- most of my m- most of my life um and the switches were sort of like stair step switches i'm not saying he wasn't growing and learning i don't i'm not talking sure. shit about him in that way but it was, it was like he picked a lane and he fucking excelled at that. Same with my mom yeah, yeah. to a certain degree. Um, what I've now come to see though when I was older is my, my grandmother was really a renaissance woman and, and a true entrepreneur. So, um, you know, and I don't know exactly when she was born, but in the 40s and 50s, she was studying art and seeing jazz in Manhattan where she grew up. And as a woman at that time, you know, as a young woman, that was, that was pretty revolutionary. Yeah. Um, super well-read, just really cultured woman um, and didn't exactly grow up that way. So it was something that she really had a passion for and she learned about. And then she started um, like an interior design bathroom and closet sort of space in in a a really, on Newbury Street in Boston, which is like a high-end commercial place. And then had a showroom in the Boston Design Center which was even more high end and you know she built that up from scratch just doing what she loved so oh wow it's there in the DNA but as a kid it wasn't something like I saw on the day to day and it wasn't those sort of principles weren't highlighted consciously as far as
0: I was aware okay so uh, i i mean do you think do you think it's it's either in every, it it's either it's for everybody it's it's a nature it's more of a nurture thing that that what you you teach is learned um because i heard you say it's in the dna so i was like oh there's a little bit of of, of uh, nature in it um but or or was it more nurture um the, that this was something that you had to to experientially
1: pick up and then run with. I think it's both. Always, man. I know that sounds like a cop out, but I w- I will explain why I'm saying that. Very good answer. <laughs> it, well, I <laughs> like you know, there's a reason people debate it so much, and I think there's validity in both. And it's like we I do believe we're born with a very specific purpose. Maybe that purpose evolves over time. Or we reach certain threshold and the purpose unfolds in a new direction. But it's like, I know I'm in a body to do what I'm here doing right now. And I'm sure that thing will grow up and I'm here to help people change their lives really quickly. I know that. Yeah. And so it is in my DNA and our environment plays a huge role in that. Like I was not, I was aware of a desire for that for a really long time, but I was not, I didn't know how to access it in myself. Based on my environment, based on the choices I made within that environment, um, until things my in my environment, the choices I made sort of like snap me out of it and crack something
0: open. Okay, okay, Does that makes sense. Um, yeah, it it, it makes it, it makes total sense, and and um, it's 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 almost like uh, stuff was already happening when you were little. I I know that. Uh, I I think the first business that you started, you were you started a lemonade stand, right, at
1: like six years old. It was like a hybrid lemonade stand. It was really funny looking back and now because we lived on a dead end and we were like the third to last (laughs) house. (laughs) There was like just on a math level maximum there was going to be six cars going by in a day. You just, um, you just needed a big ass sign, dude. That's a huge sign. I know, and at no six, I, it was so it was like a lemonade st- I just literally sold anything I had—baseball cards, anything in my room that I thought was cool. I would put out there. Um, I don't think I ever made any money doing it, but but I did do it at okay. that age for sure. Okay, and, and and what was the drive for that? Um, that I I'm not I don't even remember. Truth be told, man, I um I loved the freedom of having money, and at that age, that was the only way I conceptualized being able to bring money in. So there was an awareness, but uh, yeah, you know, the other thing I wanted to share, man, that just sort of came into my mind when we're talking about nature and something being someone's DNA. I think you and I have probably talked about this in the past, but my, literally my earliest memories, man, are like uh, just thinking about the nature of consciousness. I remember like being in the shower at a very, very young age. And uh, it's a very like sensory experience. And it, I think it anchors the memory for me. And thinking like, why, what makes me me? Like, why am I having thoughts that I identify as Tristan's thoughts in this body? But Mark is having thoughts that he identifies as Mark thoughts in his body, and we don't know what we're thinking. Like there was something about it didn't totally make sense to me why that separation would occur. Sure. And I just remember thinking about things like that a lot at a very young age. I want
0: to know if you you came up with any uh, conclusions to that.
1: I did not, man. Not at that time, and or if I did, I do not remember. I really remember just sitting with that question it was a very like something about that was very profound for me. The experience of asking that question and really thinking about it and just being like, you know what I came up with was like, it didn't make sense to me that that uh, distinction would exist as strongly as it appears to. Well, I'll I'll ask you what
0: then now, um, what you were thinking about then since, since, since you kind of sat with it for a while,
1: How how do you answer it now? Well, I don't, I don't think that distinction does exist. And that's, I think that's why it was so, uh, if not troubling, at least of interest to my five, yep. six-year-old mind, um, it doesn't exist, not in the way that we think that it does. You know, like we're I was just talking to someone about this the other day. We're, we have all, all these extra senses. I mean, I don't want to put them in a language that, that even ostracizes anybody. This is just scientific. There's nothing far out about what we're saying. Like our heart generates an eight to 10 foot biomagnetic field that distributes and receives information. Just that alone is already telling us like there's so much more going on as a human being than we perceive. And it's why when we're walking through the world and we feel something, like say you just feel sad inside of the blue. one's like felt an emotion that they don't you know, quite know it's why you can do that because like you're feeling it in someone else's field and experience or it's what intuition is it's why when an invention occurs somewhere typically that same invention will occur the same day or the next halfway across the globe or something very similar without information being shared something Absolutely. pops in human consciousness and information travels
0: and and you know what's really interesting i, I remember um uh so i was a neuroscience major in, yeah. in uh behavioral biology And I remember they, uh, I I thought about the same thing, Uh, not in the shower, but I was nude um, in my (laughs) neuroscience class. (laughs) So, um, and uh, essentially what they were talking about was the study on monkeys on. uh, uh, The hundredth monkey? Not the hundredth monkey, monkey. Um, but
1: uh, I'd love to hear about that one. Um it was essentially, essentially, is it in Japan on the islands of Japan?
0: Yes. Yeah,
1: that is yes. that's what I'm referring to as the hundredth monkey.
0: Oh, okay. And 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 how they would would find ways to open up coconuts. Yes. And, and essentially like um you know for the audience uh sake essentially what would happen was you know on on uh you know uh, every now and then they'd find a novel way to open a coconut. And then all of a sudden when enough learned the entire archipelago learned, you know. And I, I think it's really interesting, you know, and and I think it's what's really interesting is, um, I mean, let's 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 go all over the place today. Uh, I, I I don't know about you, but I, I feel as if this is what's
1: happening with consciousness now. Definitely. It's we're going 100th monkey on, on consciousness. Definitely, man. And yeah. to bring it like. It's always really important to me that when we have these conversations. They're like really accessible to people because people so often, it, we're so quick to want to keep reality where it is for us that if we hear something that challenges that, people want to label it as woo or spiritual or new, whatever. Like, if I don't care what anyone labels it, but this is, this is just science. This is just actually common sense when we think about it. Like, we know from physics, energy is neither created nor destroyed. So it just changes forms, like meaning everything that ever was or will be is already here in in its energetic state. So when we have a new idea that has to come from somewhere because it wasn't created within us. Mm. So it's either we're receiving it from somewhere in the universe or another human being. The idea here is like, if we break break, uh, the experience of consciousness or being a human being Down to these smaller pieces and just go, what are the laws of physics say? Like, how do they translate into this experience? We start to just see, like, there's so much more to being a human being than we conceive of. And to bring it into terms of like business or entrepreneurship or what we might talk about as a quantum leap, that's why a quantum leap is possible is because we hold this, this truly infinite potential within us. All the knowledge that ever was or ever will be is here, not, not like in the universe, like here within us, all around us, everywhere. So the idea of a quantum leap to me, or when I see like one of my clients get it, all we're ever doing is helping them look at themselves differently, understand themselves differently. And once they do, they become receptive and can access this information, this inspiration, the strategy, whatever it might be that's around them all the time.
0: That's awesome, Tristan. I want to follow up on that with, with um, this idea that uh, everything that we need lies within us. Um, I, I absolutely agree with it. And um, one of the things that I've been thinking about lately is
1: why is it so hard to access? Sometimes? Why do you think it's so hard to access? I'm curious like what you've been thinking. Uh,
0: I think partially, uh, uh, some, sometimes we get uh, emotional blinders, ego. Um, uh, uh, some, uh, we're indoctrinated to think that truth is something else and it's yeah. an illusion. Um, and, uh, we don't, uh, we end up not trusting, uh, uh, what's within us, uh, when we kind of, I don't know, this is like my 10th podcast in this format and it sounded like everyone who I interviewed kind of knew at a very young age or were already seeking something greater than what they were taught. They were pushing back for a while and then they stopped. They were like, what the, like, it's, it's. There's got to be something else here. Um, th- th- this has got to be a fake wall or something like that. So I mean that's my thought on things. What about you?
1: I mean, I, I agree with everything you said and I would just simply put, I think we're we're addicted to our limitations and I'm, I'm sure that's been written in some book. I don't I, I don't know where that came from, but we're addicted to it in an in a, in a almost literal sense or maybe a literal sense because like what what we've come to know as reality as as like a predictable experience in our life, we derive a ton of emotional safety from that, even if our life sucks. Mm. Like, we've all been in places where we don't want to be emotionally and psychologically, and we don't know how to get out of them. But if we're saying that anything is possible and we have access to everything within and around us, obviously it's possible to change just about any situation, if not literally any situation. So we have to start asking the question if we feel stuck, why are we choosing to stay stuck? Because it is a choice. And a lot of people don't like hearing that. And I get a lot of pushback on that from, Different people, uh, because of different, different things for them. But what I'm really saying is this, like, it's comfortable being where we are. Even if it's emotionally it's uncomfortable, so it's comfortable in its predictability and its certainty. Even if we know deep down inside, it's more, maybe
0: it's more risky to stay where we are. Definitely. Um, uh, we'll, we'll find ways to like work around that. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and make it, make up an excuse, right? It's, it, I think it's, I think it's absolutely fascinating um, because because I think that's one of the things that's tipping. Um, you just look at the the podcasts out nowadays. A lot of the podcasts, their theme is uh, you know within us, blah you know, uh, you know, everything you need is within you, the truth inside, all all that kind of stuff. And then sort of it's 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 hard to sit here sometimes. And we were talking, let's break the fourth wall. You know, sure. we were talking before the show, and I was like. God, the, you know, I, I, I work on this on a regular basis and it's still hard for me to see it. Like, I know I'm, I'm, i have got blinders on. And, um, you know, uh, you, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna go there for, for you. I, 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 I know that you went through some anguish, um, uh, uh, uh disillusionment, mm-hmm. um, uh, in, in college, uh, after you started thinking about meaning, uh, maybe going on this search for the truth. I um, talk a little bit about that dis- disillusionment.
1: Uh, yeah, I've had, I've probably had a, a, t- at least two rounds, significant rounds of that yeah. come to mind. I can, I'll talk yeah. about, uh, we could talk about both at some point, but the one you're referring to is um, like, I, I didn't grow up in an environment, my parents are great. Okay. But like, I didn't grow up in an environment either there or in school or the town I grew up in, the friends I grew up with where there was like um, a real premium put on finding what was true for oneself. So, it wasn't a really repressive environment. It was just sort of like right in the middle. Just like, okay, just this is what you do, this is how it is. Um, And from a very young age, as I said, like I knew that wasn't the way. Something inherently in me was just like, there's more. So, I always like gravitated towards people doing anything creative at all. So, I would like, as early as I could, I would go into the city just to be around. A more diverse experience of life, people were into music and art and just creating shit okay. more than And what to I was lose around. that accent uh, yeah exactly or to gain <laughs> it because I was getting closer to it going back in the city, but I'd go to the city to, to drink some water, there was some water, <laughs> and uh I never should have told you that, so i um <laughs> when I, when i finally when I finally went to college, you know like I just was so unprepared, man, to be a human, to be like a functioning adult human. I mean, I could like take care of myself at a basic level, but like, I didn't, I did not know how to identify what I even really wanted. And I certainly didn't trust myself to go after it. So I got to, I got to college and like, you know, there's a lot more freedom. And I mean, I knew enough about myself to know what I was sort of what I wanted to study and what I didn't and all that. But like, what was your major? I ended up creating a major. So I I dropped out uh, yeah. after yeah my sophomore year, but I ended up going back. But at the time, I thought I was just leaving. So I ended up just taking a year off. And when I came back, I... So this was even before... You dropped out even before you had to declare? Yes. Okay. So I came back and um, they had this program where you could design your own major. Like, it turns out they they didn't they didn't really want you to like it was really hard to do they made it very difficult but but you could so I did. So I basically without knowing it did what I do now which is I studied like religion, philosophy, music, anything, sociology, like anything that was helping me understand why humans are the way they are and how to make conscious change if we want to. Like how to transform shit if we want to. Your grandma would be proud. Yeah, she would be for sure. Yeah, man um yeah so when i when I took that time off um I like went out in the world man I had a lot of a lot of experiences just just living life and um through a couple of different of- different experiences i I became a lot more aware of um like my spiritual side you know i'd I'd always been aware of these things you know as we've talked about already, but I think it was pretty repressed, and you know when you're in middle school and high school and people aren't talking about that shit, most people will numb that part of themselves, I certainly did. That year off, I just sort of like started becoming more aware of God, Spirit, Source, Energy, the Universe. Reading more philosophy, more mystic poets, and just like really starting to re embrace that part of myself that's like, hey, you know, there's a lot more going on to life than what people are people are talking about. So it really woke that thing back up in me, like a real mm-hmm. curiosity, a real desire to know the truth, and then to be able to apply the truth.
0: Now, as you were, um, as you were, uh, sort of in, engaging in that. Did you feel as if that uh, that child uh, who was asking the questions in the shower was getting things answered?
1: Uh, that's a great question, man. I don't think I was aware of that at the time. Okay. I think it just really woke up that, that hunger more than yeah. any answers. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the, the question you were originally asking around the disillusionment, so all that sort of woke up and I, and I was like really lit by it. I was just on a mission, you know, I was really excited about life and, and, you know, 20 or 21 and, uh, starting to look around at the world and go, Oh shit, there's like a lot for me to digest here, a lot for me to integrate and start to understand whatever it is I'm, I'm here to do. And when I went back to the college setting, you know, that's, that's just not the discourse for most people at that age 20, 21. Um, and so it was. It was really painful, actually. I man, I felt really isolated and really alone because I'd had all these very, to me, very profound experiences uh, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. And I went back in this environment where that just like wasn't the way people were communicating. It's not what they were sharing and talking about. Um, I, I remember, man, I scared the shit out of my mom unintentionally because I was talking to her, and it was—I think it was a Friday night, Friday or Saturday night—and I, I was talking to her on the phone and like. All my friends were out like smoking weed or drinking or doing whatever they were doing. And I'm not saying I never did that stuff ever again, but I like, I just, I wanted to be able to go deep with people and everyone else yeah. seemed to be interested in something else. And I was talking to her and I remember I said something like, I just don't even understand like why it would be worth living if this is the fuck we're doing here. I wasn't actually really suicidal, though I was considering like, What's the point of being a human being if that's what we're doing? Right, it Which,
0: was kind of a nihilist attitude,
1: very much so, um, with a lot of sadness connected to it, though, because it wasn't emotionally—it mm. wasn't emotionally neutral. But I wasn't actually at a, at a suicidal point, but it scared the shit out of her. I can say that. Sure. Um, but yeah, that was the first real disillusionment. I, I, really, what I really needed to do in the path in front of me at that point, which is a very long path, I'm still on, but it's it's gotten a lot easier, was to uh, really disengage from what, what was important to other people and whatever other people were focused on, just go, this is, this is my journey, this is my path. I have to find the answers inside me through experience. And um, I was so addicted to the approval of other people, so deeply and painfully addicted to that. So that's where a lot of the disillusionment came from. I was like, never never really taught one way or the other, or I never really learned the skill one way or the other to just trust myself and have that be enough. So I felt this real drive to go experience new things, but the people around me weren't interested in that. And I didn't have the courage or the self-trust or the self-esteem to just go, that's cool. Like This is my thing. It's no problem. So I constantly felt this desire to go like shrink back in so I could connect and get love and be well-liked and all that. Um, so that was a very long, painful process to sort of undo that and re- rewire that circuit. You know what's re- you know what's really interesting is is
0: uh, on his death that deathbed, uh, Carl Jung talked about it, uh, and and he he basically said um, my entire life I've been haunted by two uh, diamonds, right? Uh, not demons, but diamonds. These these are these uh, you know uh, I guess figuratively these uh, you know those little things that land on your shoulder and and, and whisper in your ear. Yeah. And he said, one was this diamond of creativity and learning. And I could be locked in my lab for months and not come out. But when I was, I missed interaction with people. And then the other one was this diamond that says, go out and, and be with people, connect, be in, in community. And he said, when I, uh, when I went out and followed that diamond, um, uh, I felt absolutely like, like I wanted to go back to my lab yeah. and I didn't feel like in my lab, I'm lonely. And then I'm with people. I want to be in my lab. Like, he's like, I, I, I just can't figure it out. And the, then the dude, like, ah, like the dude croaks, like thinking about that on his yes. deathbed. Yes. I, I mean, it, it's a, a really profound thing. Um, how did you work through that people pleasing thing? Because personally for me, that's been one of the hardest things. Um, every time I think I, I've got it licked, it hits me even harder over the head. And I'm like, yes. oh, I guess I didn't have it licked. And and now, uh, you know, this 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 level of hater rate is, is, is even higher now.
1: Dude, I'm not sure that we ever have it licked. I mean, I certainly don't. Um, how I've experienced it is this, and I, I think it's sort of similar to what you're saying. And if not, correct me, but... um. So it's like a long journey, which we can get into if we choose to. But <clears throat> the more self-confident I've become and the more my self-esteem has been generated internally rather than by people, places, or things, and the better I feel and the more then I go out into the world and do the fucking thing I'm here to do and, and experience wins, Like the better life gets, that thing still comes up. and And every time it comes up, the people-pleasing or being a chameleon or all these different ways, the caretaker, all these different ways that thing shows yep. up when it shows up, you're right. It does hit us over the head harder because it's showing us a deeper level of that. Like for me, every time it shows up and it's almost more painful when it does, it's more painful because it's, I'm deeper into my subconscious material, my buried emotional material. Cause yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, we can only clear the easiest layers first. We can't go right to the, to the depth of things. Right. Right. So right. The more, the more self-aware we are, the more self-aware we are. And typically the, the, um, more painful it can be when we see something that's yet resolved.
0: I, I'm so happy that you, that that you brought that up because I I think um uh, folks when when they think about having a breakthrough or or having uh, this aha moment, hey eureka we've got it. The, the way I wrap my way way around it is is when. <laughs> But like when you're, when you're working with something that's deep seated and it really has itself wrapped around your, your heart and your mind and your gut and you're, you're pulling it out and it's wanting to stay in, it's painful. And I, I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I have no problem saying, you know, this is like, I, man, there were some deep things that I was dealing with this weekend and, and, and to really have those emotions come up and out, um, uh, and, and then to be able to, you know, I, I'm in Toronto, you know, and and to to be able to show up uh, more fully in Toronto uh, is is amazing. It's absolutely yes. amazing. But it it felt like shit. It it wasn't like this lotus flower blooming. Hey, it's Mark. I hope you're digging the Golden Mike podcast. If you have or are just starting your own revolution fueled by joy, there's a site I created for you. If you, like me, believe that personal growth is simply not enough, if you, like me, are committed to changing history for the better in both micro and macro ways, check out joyrevolution.com. In there, you'll find an archive of our over 200 Golden Mike Live Facebook shows and, of course, our podcast that you're currently listening to. Check out the blogs highlighting how positive psychology and joy theory apply to your everyday life. There's even some cool clips from our Joy Revolution course geared towards influencers, speakers, writers, and change agents. It's all there. Go to joyrevolution.com. That's joyrevolution.com. Let's get back to the episode.
1: You don't sit, look at it. You see it the same way as well. Well, I, you know, I'm not saying everyone's experience is always the same. I can only speak to mine and then what I've witnessed with people yeah. in my life and clients. And obviously, it's what I do with people. So I, I get to bear witness pretty up close and personal to a lot of people's process. Yeah. Um, usually, I would say it like this for me and for the people close to me, the, the pain tends to be in like the resisting of, of letting the thing out. Because there's so much fear what's going to happen. There's so much fear like if I open that Pandora's box, what the fuck am I going to find in there? How painful is it going to be? What if the pain never stops? All sorts of stories. And so we resist, we resist, we resist. And then for me, it's like when I finally realize, like, whoa, I got to deal with this. This is not right. And I sit down and right behind me either on my meditation cushion or the couch or wherever and I close my eyes and I just feel You know, I'll cry, I'll yell, I'll do whatever I need to to move the energy. The process, once I've given up, given myself up to the process, that's usually not that painful Mm. and it usually goes pretty quick and then I feel way fucking lighter on the other side.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. So so,
1: (laughs) yeah, so I think for me anyways, usually the pain is in every moment leading up. We make facing the thing such a boogie monster. We make it this thing that the (laughs) idea of which is so fucking terrifying (laughs) That's to me where the real pain is, and then once we're really willing to feel the thing and just breathe through it, I find that it tends to pass or we tend to be able to like, "Oh, what we need to fairly quickly, but the pain is pretty front loaded and it's there by design, you know to protect us from actually going into the material because once we do, we grow, and the subconscious is just trying to keep us alive, and so growth you know it looks at right. growth as as disorienting at best and and life threatening at worst
0: so so do you feel that um either the brain
1: or the subconscious is a bit antiquated? No, I, I think we use it in a really antiquated way though. Talk about that. Yeah, so um, there's a really awesome book. I, I think it's from like the very early 60s by Maxwell Maltz. Um, I think you and I have probably talked about this book called Psycho- Psycho-Cybernetics. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a really popular book. And He was a plastic surgeon. But he was, he was a real philosopher and real pioneer in personal development. He basically would never operate on anybody until they healed the emotional wound underneath whatever they wanted worked on. Because he knew if he did the surgery and they didn't work on themselves, they wouldn't feel any different. And they would just have spent a bunch of money and probably feel worse because it didn't fix the problem. Anyways, sure. I'm bringing the book up to just to say this. He talks about the subconscious as, um, he likens it to, to a uh, like a heat-seeking missile. And he said it's going to hit whatever it's programmed to hit. And like a heat-seeking missile, a heat-seeking missile is basically off course all the time. So it's aiming at something maybe hundreds of thousands of miles away, and it's off course, and all it's doing is just course-correcting so the variance between where it's aiming and the target gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller until it hits it. Mm-hmm. And so when you think about it that way, I, I think the subconscious is is – Perfect in its design. I don't think it is antiquated. What's antiquated is that we're using it to stay safe rather than using it to go be who the fuck we came here to be at the highest level possible. Mm. Does that make mm. sense? The way i
0: that that makes that makes complete and 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 utter sense. Um, which which goes back to the nature versus nurture, right? Um, yes. Na- uh, you know, nature wise, we were we were born, um, and nurture wise, it's. You know, it's not to be blamed on a society that is oppressive or anything like that, but maybe more so uh, a society in which we weren't really given the instruction manual on how to use this. And and so we, you know, we end up, you know, we end up using it like how we know, you know, and and before it worked really well running from, from the real boogie monsters, dinosaurs, right? Um, But those those things are 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 kind of they're kind of gone now. And, and and with that we have a perfect organism inside of our head that can be
1: used to evolve us forward. Yeah. I mean that, that part of us, you're right, it's like it's still scanning for a saber toothed tiger that's gonna rip our trachea out. But yep. that's not reality. The reality is like for most people, we're not in life threatening situations most of the time. I'm not saying that's not someone's reality, but it's not most people, right. especially people listening to or watching this. Right. Um, But instead of seeing danger there, it sees danger in anything that's going to create change for us at all in any single way. So when we have an opportunity to change and make those quantum leaps like we're talking about, most of the time it looks at those opportunities in the same way it would a saber-toothed tiger that's trying to kill us. Exactly. Yes,
0: absolutely. Absolutely. So in your coaching, how do you help people come to a a realization that, Hey, this is. There's discernment here. There's discernment here, and and maybe there's some awareness that you can you can understand that you're going into a fight, flight, or freeze uh, mode right now, um, or is it just the awareness part first?
1: Honestly, it's usually just the awareness part. Yeah, and yeah. then more awareness and more awareness and more awareness. Like awareness itself changes everything. Like you can't become unaware of something; you become aware of. So we typically when i sit down with someone at first like the first thing we want to understand is is where they're habituated to stop and what their subconscious uses to get them to stop so for some people it's that they're going to fail for some people, it's crippling self-doubt. For other people, it's what someone else going to think of me. For some people, it might be I feel stupid. But everyone has like that perfect stopping mechanism where if the subconscious can get you to think or feel a certain thing, you will stop and you'll stop everything.
0: Mm, mm. So, so, so anyways, the awareness um, brings forth the, uh, uh, someone being able to notice the pattern. Yes. And once you notice the pattern, you can disrupt the
1: pattern. Exactly. But if you don't know that the pattern, no, if you don't know the pattern, all you know is I just feel fucking terrified or I see no way to change my life or my business or I want that thing, but I'm so scared I'm going to fail. And if you haven't, if you haven't built up a a skill around it, those emotions are, are so alluring they're so tempting to bite on. And once yeah, you do, absolutely. you're fucking done until you let go of them. <laughs> absolutely, man. Because once you bite on them, that's all you can see are circumstances that that um, perpetuate those feelings. So if you're in that fear state and then you're looking around your reality through the lens of fear, all you really see are more reasons to feel afraid or more reasons things won't work out. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I, I think it's a uh, it might be called
0: the, and there's even a brain part, a specific part of the brain. I think it's the the RAS, the reticular articulating system, something like that, in which it's like, you go, you go and tell somebody the only real cars are red cars, or you go and actually, this is even better. You buy a red car and you, uh, of a specific, like a Volkswagen, you drive off the lot and all you see are red Volkswagen. Yes, exactly. Um, or, or when my, when my ex partner was, was, was pregnant, uh, all she saw were other pregnant people. Yes. And it, it's almost like that with fear. If, if, you, if, if, you, if, if all you see is fear, you're looking at the world through fear, all you get back is messages of fear that confirm why you should
1: stay in fear. Yes. Oh, that's heavy duty, man. That's heavy yeah, duty. so it's like <clears throat> you're right. You're 1,000% right. So once we know – because everyone's a little different. We all ultimately do this thing similarly, but everyone's a little different how it operates. Once you know for an individual what their subconscious uses to stop them, yeah, then you can build a strategy, which basically, I mean, break, broken down to its simplest component. is just this, helping them be aware of when fear comes up, what it really is. Because when fear comes up or that subconscious stopping strategy pops off, what it's really saying is this. You're fucking three inches from, from striking oil or hitting gold. And, so this, and the subconscious knows that. So it goes, okay, we got to ratchet up the fear, the self-doubt, the anxiety, the worry, whatever it might be, because this motherfucker is so close. To winning and to growing and to expanding. So the the more those emotions get get ramped up. Typically by the way, the, my
0: unconscious calls me a motherfucker too. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is mouthy, mouthy oh, Bostonian so, subconscious. I've so, got.
1: Yeah, everyone's subconscious is from Boston. By the <laughs> way, little known fact. <laughs> and so, but then we can use that if we know that's happening. Then we can go, oh shit. So when I feel crippled with terror, most likely I'm feeling crippled with terror because I'm actually really close to the breakthrough I want. So instead of folding into that terror, I'm actually going to use it as a fuel source or a springboard to go, to run forward. Mm, mm.
0: Now, now fear still serves. Fear still serves. Uh, I, I feel a good, a, a, a good, a, a good purpose. Uh, you know, a healthy fear, right? Um, how can you how can you discern between a healthy fear where it's like this has been the 90th time I felt fear, fought through it, and have spent eighty thousand dollars on a program or something like that? I'm completely, you know, you know like. Credit's gone. I'm living a, you know, I barely have a place to live. One more time. Um, I'm I'm scared. That means for me to do it. And and so you know, uh,
1: how do you discern between those two things? Between well, I don't. I in the scenario you just, I get where you're going, but in the scenario you just painted, I don't think fear either way is telling the truth. I, I the issue isn't with the fear there to me. The issue is. If you keep stepping forward, but you're getting the same results every time you do, something internally needs to be adjusted in order to get new results by taking the same action. Okay. Does that make sense so, what I mean by that? Ab- absolutely. It makes sense. And and oftentimes, some like I, what I
0: didn't want to do was make it uh, uh, to simplify it to the point where if someone's like, oh my gosh, I'm feeling fear, it means go for it. And then all of a sudden there's no plan, there's no mentor, there's there's nothing in place um, that would, uh, except for that feeling that they heard. Hey, if you feel fear, you're close to stri- striking oil. Well, also make sure that you you've got shit around you, and you you've been putting in. Like I've I've heard you use this on your show. You've been putting in the work. It's not just being scared and do and jumping. No, no, no.
1: Yeah, and and also, man, this is. I had I had a, a client. Uh, when she enrolled with me pretty recently, I said, "How are you feeling?" You know, after she had just enrolled, she just put up, put down a bunch of money, and we were like kicking off. And she sent me a text. Those two emojis. It was the puking emoji, yeah, <laughs> and and a really excited faced emoji. And I thought that encapsulated it perfectly. And what I always yep. say to someone is like, when something's taking you where you want to go, there's still a yes to it. There's still some expansive feeling to it. It's not just lockdown terror like some part of you knows yeah. that it's going to take you forward. So if nothing in you wants to move forward toward, like, okay, so say one of my clients or one of your clients wants to speak on stages and they know that they have some self-doubt about being in front of a big group of people and having anything to say. Yeah. And then they get offered to go speak at the UN and it's going to be televised internationally. So speaking in front of a huge forum and then to a huge international audience. Obviously, that serves their purpose. I mean, maybe not obviously, but let's pretend that someone we're speaking at the UN would very much serve their biggest purpose. Sure. So, um, obviously, that's a yes, meaning it's an environment they're designed to go do. It's taking them closer to their goal and the fulfillment of their vision. And they're going, oh, fuck, that is really fucking scary. Right, right there's other scenarios that just aren't a yes if yeah. that if that same person was approached to be in a Kentucky Fried chicken commercial they might have no desire to go like it might not light them up at all they might still feel fear because they're like oh that would be so scary to be on camera but when they tune in with themselves they might they might go like oh that's not that has nothing to do with what I'm doing on planet Earth I, there's no yes in me around that at all so what I always encourage people yeah, to do when chicken. the fear comes up is like actually tune in and see like, is is it, is it a yes for you in a real way? Like, is it taking you closer to what you really, really want? Is it helping you get there? That's, that's so cool. Now,
0: does there have to be a meta, uh, it, does there have to be a meta there of a, a clearness on, I know exactly where there is. And I don't so I think know, so. Okay.
1: No, because I think that
0: an intuitive yes, like yes,
1: it it feels good. Yeah, but I think that can also fuck with us sometimes. So, what I mean when I answered the question affirmatively is this like, um, I could use any number of examples, but let's say someone wants to, they're an entrepreneur. Let's say someone's a coach and they're an entrepreneur and they're making Mm -hmm. $10,000 a month and they want to make $100,000 a month. Mm -hmm. And they go, there's this coach that I've been watching that I want to hire. And I see the results their clients are getting. There's just this part of me that's been so excited about working with them. I noticed that feeling like within me. Um, and I do want to hit $100,000, but ultimately, I just want to grow my business, do it better, and I want to make more money. Okay. And actually, you know what? This is not a great analogy because I did use a very specific goal. So let me erase that. I got too carried away. Um, someone, yeah, edit, <laughs> Please. gone. Please. <laughs> that's horrible. Um, Our goals always change. Like we can only see a goal at the level of consciousness we're at. So every time we grow our goal and our vision and, and our dream grows with it because we see more of what's possible. So there's always a limit to how much we can see in our goal, even if our goal is really big. Mm. So if the goal is just like, I want to generally make more money and I want to generally enjoy my life more. That's like, that's enough of something to aim at. And then when you're, when you're faced with a decision, you can just ask like, is this something I want? And is it going to take me closer to that? As far as I can tell. Okay. Meaning if that was my goal and then someone said, do you want to sign up for this art class? It's $20,000. If I don't have a love for art and I don't want to learn to be a painter or an artist and there's no business model connected to to that class, like probably that's not, yes, probably it's not going to take me closer to my goal. There's nothing that sure. indicates that it might. So it can be as simple as that. It's like, because I think people get really... Um, People slow themselves down a lot by not knowing exactly what they want. And, and it is imperative that we get really clear on what we want, but sometimes we need a little bit of support to get there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, I want to I go back
0: for a second. We graduate with the, 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 uh, the human consciousness degree, right? <laughs> um, I, and, and now, uh, so maybe
1: in the 2000s, is that went is that, that went down? Yeah, 2002 um, is when I graduated.
0: 2002, we got the human consciousness degree. Um, in the least condescending way, what do we do with the con- human consciousness? Like, what was? I mean,
1: nothing. Nothing, dude. Yeah! But here's here's That's my the dog. thing, That's man. My dog. Here's the thing, man. I never thought like that, honestly, Mark. Yeah, I yeah. really never did. Like when I went to college, it was never like, "What? Okay, what degree is going to get me the best job?" It was just like what am I here to do? Like, what's the purpose of this? What do I love? Like, I always wanted to do what I loved doing and that was it. And I saw a lot of people who are like, well, I'm going to do this, this, and this because then it will position me for this, this, and this. And I, for better or worse, I just never thought like that. Um, so it, it didn't do anything for me in that way. What it did was help me trust myself to actually pursue my real passion and what I really loved. Um, and, that was invaluable, you know. The experience of college, like that's what I learned from it. It wasn't like what I studied,
0: really. I'm, um, I, I, I actually applauded you for the fact that I think that this is a case where it shows that that college works for you sure. Know, go, going, going for the education of it versus feeling at the age of eighteen that you have to make a commitment to something. Um, that, uh, you know, uh, I'm going to major in cog making and I, I must be a cog maker for the rest of uh, our life. I think that's
1: an antiquated model. you know. Me too, man. That's uh, one of the reasons I flipped out so much in school and needed that time is because like, I wasn't ready to make that decision, man. I had no fucking idea who I was or what I really wanted at, at 18, 19. I had no idea. And yet there was a system that was like, well, you got to, you got to choose and now you got to focus. And I just oh, truly, genuinely did not know. Yeah, and not to go far too far down the rabbit hole, but there's
0: other countries. I believe Denmark or Norway. Before you go to college, they want you to have at least three years of doing mm-hmm. something on your own. Yeah. Um, before coming in, and then it's it's. I think it's. Uh, I, well, I, yeah, I, w- I would say that it probably contributes to. Uh, on a regular basis, they they score very high in terms of their uh, what I call their gross domestic happiness. Yes, one of the happiest places on earth. Um, I, I love the fact that you came out um, with an even more uh, a, 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 a even more reason to have a growth mindset versus having the fixed mindset. You know. Yes. Um, so I, I think it's I think it's awesome. So given that <laughs> I know that you I, I that you, well this probably happened uh, in college, but. You started doing uh music professionally?
1: Yeah. Was this was this after you graduated? Well, yeah, so I started playing music late, man. I started playing music at uh maybe 20 or 21. Um wait, you started playing music? At- yeah, so I always had a real love for music. Um okay. and I tried when I was young I tried I think the violin in school. I tried guitar, but like I had um when I was young, man, I had like absolutely no patience for anything that i couldn't excel at really quickly and it it bit me in the ass a lot because it would have been pretty cool if i stuck with guitar from 10 on it would have been a real different scenario but like i fucking hated sitting in my room and trying to play with some elvis song i remember the guitar teacher guy i didn't relate to it i didn't i just didn't (laughs) like it i didn't care (laughs) and yeah so i tried a lot and it just never stuck and then um You look more like a stand-up bass kind of guy. Yeah, you know, maybe it was just it was the wrong instrument. I don't know. But a a really close friend of mine um, encouraged me to play the bass. He was a guitar player, sort of becoming a drummer at that time. And I just did it because there was like a bass there, and I wanted to like be able to play with him. It looked fun. Um, And I loved music. So, yeah, that took off really quickly. And um when I left school and I graduated, that was my focus 100% was playing music. So I, I worked whatever job I had to, to make sure I could, could pay what I need to pay. And then, and then just practicing a shitload every day, gigs at night. Um, so that took over my life from like 22, 23 to 29, 30. Did you write music as well? I did. Yeah. Okay.
0: Like lyrics and, and, and stuff too.
1: No, because I was mostly playing in the, in the jazz world. So um, so just like more modern jazz compositions and stuff like that. So a lot of hip hop, right uh, other world music. So. Right yeah, on. so that was life for a long time was just busting my ass during the day, trying to find time to practice, uh, working whatever jobs I had to, and then, and then uh, gigging playing at night. Uh, multiple times a week, usually. Uh, tell me about the biggest things you took away from that part of your life
0: that still affect you now.
1: Biggest, biggest, biggest was uh, was meeting my wife. So one of the jobs was working at this cafe. That was an awesome job. It was really fun. And but I'd work there super early in the morning open it, and then I'd like be playing music all night. So I like never slept for like five years. Um, and it's starting to catch up with me now. I think I'm a forty. <laughs> <so. laughs> my adrenal fatigue is starting to catch up. <laughs> All I want to do is sleep now. Um, but we we met at this cafe and, and um, I mean, it sounds whatever it sounds, however it sounds, but she was the person I've been waiting for since I was a very, very young person. Like I knew, some part of me knew very deeply, like I would meet a woman and the way we would line up was going to be so profound and it was going to really propel me towards whatever I was here to do. And that has absolutely been the case and continues to 14 years in. We've been all over the map. We've separated and come back together. Like we've been through the shit. And it's a lot of hard work. Um, but that was absolutely the biggest gift. So that's number one. That's um, amazing. The second gift in there, it's like, almost like a 1A, 1B scenario. Um, <laughs> playing uh, Playing jazz, you know, I think... If, unless someone's real jazz aficionado, I think they, most people think of jazz as like what you would hear in 1940 and it's not very exciting, but, um, it's a, it's a really, really dynamic music where it's gone and ultimately there's like a structure to it, but there's also a ton of freedom. So the improvisation that's happening is over sort of this agreed upon foundation or structure and then there's Mm -hmm. improvisation over it. So I was often in this situation, you know, by the grace of the universe, where I was always playing with people who were way better than me from the very beginning, uh, and it was almost always in live situations. So I had to learn really quickly: a) how to not fucking freak out when things weren't going the way they were; like if I got lost in the middle of a song, which happened all the time, or if I just had no idea what the hell was going on, or I just couldn't keep up with the, the velocity—you know, all all that kind of stuff happened. But it was in a live situation. So I, I at a very, very early on in the experience, I was like, Well, dude, you can either collapse and have it be a fucking train wreck and have the whole thing like just go to shit in front of all these people, or you can just figure it out. And so I learned really quickly how to figure it out and how to stay calm enough to just start to listen and and figure out a way to make to create even more harmony in the music with whatever I was contributing to it rather than, than allow it to crash around me because I was afraid. Um,
0: mm, yeah, and 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 uh, that bass resonates uh, when when you hit
1: that wrong note. <laughs> well, and the bass is—I mean, it's called the bass for a reason. It's the base of the music. It's the thing, especially in jazz, that's driving it forward. That and the drums Absolutely. together, and so it's like this real foundation. And um, yeah, so I was playing with people who are just way better than me all the time. So I was like always really at the very edge of what I thought was possible in myself, and it. <laughs> It taught me to fucking listen, man. Period, and to, and to mm-hmm. trust at a really, really, really deep level. And I didn't always think about it in the moment like this, but it taught me to trust God or Spirit or Source of the Universe because I was in these situations. I would be like, I have no idea what's going on. I had to really make a quick call to go. Well, there's got to be a way through this. The, the, sure. the way, ha- and once I became a coach, you know, I'd be in a lot of situations like. You can't, you can't know about something until you experience. So it's like absolutely. You when when someone's marriage ends out of the blue, when you're coaching them, you don't know about that until it first happens. So you don't have any previous experience. Like I had to figure out how to be with all these different scenarios. And it's something I see with a lot of people who are just learning, we're just building a coaching business. is like, well, what am I going to do when this happens? How do I know how to deal with it? And the answer is like, you don't, you figure it out. No matter how much training you've had, you have to figure it out. So it's long winded, man, but the playing music in the particular way I did really forced me to listen and then to be able to trust whatever came through and to just fucking go without thinking about it too much.
0: I I, I absolutely love it. There, there's something to be said when you stop overthinking in music, yeah. and that's when the best music comes out. That's when you go into flow. Um, and I know I'm I'm not the f- the five billionth person to say that this. But jazz is an absolute metaphor for life. Yes. With with sort of like here here's the the table right? or here's the canvas. Here's the paintbrush. Get, go at it. Yeah. The rest is all complex adaptive systems theory. It's not rigid organizational structures. No. Um. And like like we're taught it is. You know. Um, something else I I just wanted to share with you because I, I recently got back into music as well. Um, back, I went back to my emo phase. Yeah, right? I love it. No, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, actually, um, uh, I, I asked you about the lyric piece, but I, um uh, because, uh, I, I, I was the songwriter in, in, in my band and, uh, the, uh, the last, uh, album I wrote, I didn't understand I didn't understand what I was writing about. It, it, it was almost like completely foreign to me. And then I, 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 uh, I came back and I revisited it like twelve years later. And I'm like, oh my god! It's almost like I was predicting what was about to happen to my life, or my unconscious was coming forth in in the music. And I think, um, I think that's one of the things that um, not just music, but any kind of um, artistic expression. Where you get out of your prefrontal cortex yes. and you just let the rest go, it's it's almost like I, I know you say this a lot. You can you can almost rewrite your own story, yes, however you want. And I mean, yes. Tristan, it was almost to the it was almost to the the T some of the things that happened. And I was showing um I, I was showing my ex partner at the time. Uh, we, we were taking a flight uh from from New York to L A. and so we had time to. Uh, really have a a couple's retreat on this flight. And I I was like, you got to listen to this music I wrote 12 years ago. And she's like, it was almost like she got pale in the face. And she was like, that's what you're going through right now. And I'm like, holy cow, it is what I'm going through Mm -hmm. right now. It's not funny. Man, I got got quite a bit uh, in the past few (laughs) months. But like, um, have you you found that in the arts, uh, whether it be through music, where it it it's almost like a metaphor for this idea that you talk about of being able to rewrite your story. Um or uh I know you talk about bending reality and stuff like that. Um and it's almost as if like, what the hell did I just do? Like I I, I was I I was mulling over this when I was not thinking ten years ago.
1: Yes. Yeah, well, I mean, man, we could talk about that for like six hours, which you just said. There's so much in there. What it brings up for me is like <clears throat> Every everything we do is a product of our imagination. We just don't realize it. Mm. Like I, what we, what we're about to go create, any of us in our lives or our business, is is predicated on whatever we're thinking right now. You still with me, Mark?
0: Yeah. I'm with you, uh, Joe Fern. If you could, uh, there was a little uh, glitch there, so uh, l- let's pick it up.
1: Okay. So everything we're doing is predicated on whatever it is we're thinking and and feeling and then doing right now. Everything we're going to experience in the future is predicated on that. And those things, the thinking, feeling, doing are predicated on whatever is going on in our imagination. We're always thinking about the future and the past. like We're never present and not really. So we're always in our imagination, but most of the time we're negatively in our imagination. We're worried about what might happen, where this might happen, this. We're always in our imagination or almost always, I would say. So <laughs> if it all comes from that anyways, which it does, We can then consciously use our imagination to create whatever we want, meaning the more we focus on whatever we focus on, the more we're going to experience that or something harmonious to it. So one of the things uh, that that I talk about a lot with my clients and I do in my own life is like whatever we're doing, make, make it, make it, for lack of a better way to say it, an art project, like make it your masterpiece. So if you're a janitor, do it in the most creative, artful, beautiful, refined way you can. If you're driving a car, think about it the same way. So when you do that and you're in your life or your business, that is when you start to get into that territory of being able to sort of consciously rewrite your story in real time by, by living it in that moment. And one of the things that has been so profound for me with music, and and not everyone's a musician, nor is everyone like a painter or visual artist, but we all have that creative capacity. One of the things that's been most profound, hold on. Oh my God. (laughs) Jesus, dude. Ah, Amazing. Let's bring her on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely not. Uh, I had no idea my computer was even connected to FaceTime. My apologies, dude. Um, no worries. no worries, let me try to pick that back up. um fuck, that was really working busy. with your clients. yeah, so working with my yeah. clients the The idea here is that you can make anything artistic and creative, meaning like you can listen and whatever you listen and and to and are receiving, you can then put that in like I think about my business musically, I think about in a coaching session rhythm and harmony and melody. I'm not saying I sit there going. Hey, what's a cool melody for this? And let me make what I say melodic. I'm not saying I'm like consciously, but those principles are so much a part of who I am that they show up in everything I do. And we can make anything we do in artistic or creative expression if we choose to. And I I think it's really fucking important to do that because You know, the the creative intelligence that, that created all this thing is flowing to us all the time, through us all the time. And if we don't let that thing move the way it's designed to, it causes chaos in our life. And when we do let it move, it creates a lot of beauty. So I'm a huge proponent, not only of making like our everyday life and business creative and artistic in whatever ways we can, but I take like mental health breaks a lot throughout my day and I fill them with anything creative and fun for me. So I'll have dance parties by myself. I'll dance parties with my two year old. Uh, I'll go just take walks and listen to things or sing or I'll play music. Like, whatever moves that energy for each of us, I think is really important. And again, like, not everyone is a, is a musician or a visual artist. And those are the two things I think that people usually associate with being artistic or creative. Right, right, right everything in There's your life art to everything everything yeah, everything so whatever you go do just practice today like after you listen to this practice going and doing whatever you do in the most creative artistic way you can and i guarantee you'll feel better and you'll do whatever you're doing at a much higher level that's that, that's so freaking cool
0: Hope you enjoyed the Golden Mike podcast. There's more good stuff coming your way, but until the next episode, let's stay in touch. Yes, find us on Instagram as the Joy Rev. The Joy Rev or communicate with like-minded revolutionaries in our Facebook group. Search The Joy Revolution Underground. And of course, don't forget to check out the classes, articles, blogs, and some serious fun at joyrevolution.com. That's joyrevolution.com. Now until then, what will you do to change history for the better? Let's go out and play, shall we? Press start to begin. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs>